Welcome back to episode six of The Growth Garden, our podcast dedicated to cultivating your career progression and personal growth. I'm your co-host, Kevin. Hi, and I'm Nikki. And I have the pleasure of introducing Yasmin Alam, founder and managing director at Eclipse Air Charter. Eclipse Air Charter is an on-demand private aircraft charter company with offices in Toronto, New York, and London. With no initial outlay, long-term commitment, membership fees, acquisition costs, or management charges, Eclipse Air Charter works with corporates and individual clients worldwide. Their expertise, experience, and worldwide partnerships allow them to offer the perfect aircraft charter solution every time, no matter how many passengers or how complex the itinerary. Besides her main venture, Jasmine also is the co-founder and managing director of an early stage venture capital fund with focus on female founded companies called Equilibrium VC. So we are very excited to welcome Jasmine on today's episode as we explore her story, insights, and the path that led her to where she is today. Hi, Jasmine. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on this podcast with us. We'd love for you to start with our introduction icebreaker. So we've done this in every one of our podcasts so far. And it's one fact about your career and one fun fact about your personal life. So when you're ready, let's go. Okay, so career. I had no idea about the private jet industry until 2011. And as soon as I did, I completely honed in on it. It's all I wanted to do. It's a career I wanted and locked it down. Personal, I've lived in six different countries and moved approximately, in, in the last 15 years, I've moved approximately 28 times. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that, it's a lot of packing and unpacking. I am speechless. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So there's that. Definitely. I mean, I'm, wow. I always think like seven moves in London would be a lot, but that's even worse. <laughs> well, so you go to a new country, temporary accommodation, find somewhere you like, a year later, find somewhere, you know what I mean? So it all yeah. adds up. So yeah, it's a lot of moving. Yasmin, let's start with a journey into the aviation industry and your early inspirations in the very early days of your career. So growing up in Cambridge and studying management at the University of Nottingham, what initially sparked your interest in the aviation industry, especially in the very particular private jet sector? Honestly, at that point, nothing. I was going down the more traditional business and finance route. I wasn't aware of the private aviation industry. And then once I started working, I realized Finance wasn't really something I was passionate about or something I could see myself doing for the rest of my life. Then asking myself the questions, what do I enjoy? What do I want to do with my life? And the key element was always travel. I want to travel the world. I want to, I've always been a bit of a luxury lifestyle snob. So how do you do that while, you know, still having a rewarding job that you can see yourself doing for at least the next 30, 40 years. So kind of went down the travel hole when I was mm -hmm. looking and then stumbled across private jets, researched into the biggest providers and applied for all three of them. Okay. And, and then I was offered a position at two of them, picked the one which was my preferred one because of the global presence and the opportunity for growth. 
and luckily I got it. It was a huge accomplishment for me, as I said, because I was so honed in. It was mm. my dream at that time to work in uh, private aviation. Um, right. And then starting out, it is, you know, fish in an ocean. I had no idea what I was doing. But luckily for me, the company, the hiring scheme is they hire multiple people at the same time. So there were about 10 of us that started at the same time. So there were 10 fish that had no idea what they were doing, but it kind of created almost like, you know, our own little community that we can learn from and a little bit of competition as well, which is healthy in that environment. Mm. So I would say everything, I owe it to the first company that I worked for. Amazing. And and if we uh, hone down on the foundational experiences that you gained in, in this first job that you just mentioned, so your career beginning as a charter analyst in, in London, how did this early experience really lay the foundation for your future in the aviation industry? And what are the key takeaways from this first role that you kind of gathered there? A huge part, actually. So the first company was a huge organization. So multinational offices, much, much larger workforce. So the training is phenomenal, but it's also very sort of military. So, you know, do what you need to do, otherwise you're out and very, very structured. Managers have managers, that kind of thing. So I think when you're starting your career, or for me anyway, starting my career, it was a good environment. But for the kind of personality I have, where I do need more freedom and more independence, self-sufficiency, it's not the right environment for me in the long run. So very grateful for everything I learned, which I wouldn't have learned in a smaller aviation company or a smaller working environment, but in the long run, not the environment that I would want to be in. And then as part of my company, not an environment that I would want to have. Makes sense to learn from big companies and then you can always choose what you actually want after you've had the big experience if that's not for you or if it is for you and i think that leads me to the next question a little bit about your international transition so you moved with the same company to toronto is that correct correct so toronto at that time was a newer office so i transferred internally within the company but to a different location And what prompted that international move? And how did the shift from London to Toronto impact your professional journey? So Toronto, I had lived in previously. I did some traveling before I started in the aviation career, just trying to find out where I wanted to live and where I wanted to be. But I think there was a lot. I don't know if it still happens anymore, but back in the day, a lot of people did sort of the gap year or the career where they'd uh, travel around Europe or Canada, US and do open work permit thing. So if they wanted to work, work. If not, then just, you know, explore. So I did that for a year. And I really loved living in Toronto at that time. It's not always about the uh, place, it's about the people. So I met some amazing people. The, you know, standard of living in Toronto is amazing. It's a new city, new country, new city. So completely new to what I'm used to in Cambridge or the UK. So it was, I really, really loved it. And actually part of me starting at uh, the aviation company was that they offered mobility. So whether it was Toronto or, you know, Dubai, New York, they had offices in multiple countries. And that what that for me was the most appealing factor in my job hunt. When we're talking about leadership and growth, growing within this industry, can you tell us a 
bit about your experience um, transitioning from an executive uh, jet consultant to becoming the director of SHY Aviation or Shy? Is it Shy? <laughs> Shy, shy. It's shy. It's shy aviation. Yeah. Uh, it uh, goes back to the military training. So all the knowledge that you're given by a large company, uh, you can then have that experience. So in this case, it was everything I learned, everything I was taught within the industry. So they, the training uh, program of the old company included everything from sales training, you know, cargo training, living near the airport for a month, which was not fun, but it teaches you a lot. And um, after a while, you kind of, like I said, you figure out whether it's the right environment for you, regardless of how successful you are or you know whether or not you like the people you work with. It's not an environment suited to everyone. I think with these kind of companies, what typically happens is there's almost three types of people they attract. So one is lifers. So they start, you know, junior analyst, executive manager, senior manager, VP, and they spend their entire career at these types of companies. And then there's others who start, dislike the environment immediately and don't really last a very long time. And then others, I would say, like myself, I enjoy, I love, I really, really have a lot of respect for the company. I liked the people that I worked with. I just didn't enjoy the micromanagement aspect, which is why when I was looking to change companies, it was to a smaller company rather than go back into that environment, but in a different brand. Of course. So what would you say were the main challenges moving from a bigger company to a smaller aviation company? You know, I wouldn't say it's a challenge, but it was interesting to see the difference in human behavior. So with a big company, everything is so formal, structured, even the way people speak to each other, it's, you know, very, very formal. Whereas when you go to a smaller company, it's just very friendly, informal, coffee side chats, you know, lunch breaks to discuss a new deal or something. So it wasn't a challenge, but it was something that I had to adapt to because I'm not used to that level of informality. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I guess that is nice to to transition from something to, to like another thing. And it is a challenge, but then it's also quite rewarding if, if that's what you're looking for. It's different. It's different. So, but also in terms of structure, and also I, you know, one of the reasons I was hired was because they wanted to make the company uh, more structured and bring in somebody experienced to bring some of the skill set and uh, structures over. Mm. So it, it worked out. So yes, not a challenge, but took some getting used to. Now moving into your entrepreneurial journey and building Eclipse Air Charter that you are still operating and then you're obviously growing as we speak as a business starting eclipse air charter in toronto in, in 2016 i believe must have obviously been a significant step for you personally venturing into the inter entrepreneurial space but what really motivated you to establish your own company and what were the initial challenges that you faced as a new entrepreneur in the aviation sector 
Sure. So I would give a lot of credit to the two previous companies that I worked for because both of the skill sets they taught me were very, very complementary. So Webike, my first company, big multinational, structure, efficiency, you know, everything was set in stone, made me very diligent, risk averse. Whereas at the second company, more informal, more about relationship building, made me more, a bit more social and able to, I guess, enjoy the uh, job of a charter broker more. So I started my own company because both of those, you know, I've learned from the biggest, but I've also learned from one of the best. When they're completely different types of environments, same types of companies, exactly the same business model, but very different types of work environments. Also, at that point, I felt I hadn't, other than financial risk, nothing to risk because I didn't have children, mortgage, or any real commitments. And it, were, it was one of those now or never things. One of those yeah. things, the more you think about it and don't do it, you'll talk yourself out of. I went all in, and so it was the responsible choice, buying a condo. I was living in New York at that time, so buy a condo yeah. or risk everything and start a company. And yeah. uh, <laughs> me being the reckless... Right. Being I am, let's try this one. (laughs) (laughs) Let's try the red button. But luckily for me, the company took off, no pun intended, from the get-go with only investment from my side. And the challenge would have been, I think it's the wrong way it's done. But that's something I realized later down the line. It's the first thing, like, you know, when I was in business school or when I talked to somebody who's about to start a company, that... First goal is always to secure investment. Hmm. Like a lot of the time before you even start a company, it's like, oh, need investors, need investors, without actually trying to see what you can do for yourself. And I was the same. I thought, can't have a company without investors. So I built the company in a way so that it looked pretty. It was, you know, hmm. a dream PowerPoint. And I wanted the sales, I wanted the client base before I went to pitch it to investment companies. So that was about six months in. And I'm looking at the numbers, I'm just like, I don't actually need investors. So you were self-sufficient as a business, so you didn't go for the investor uh, money in the end. Yes. But as I said, the programming that we have as entrepreneurs mm. or we're supporting school is, it's all about the investors, build it for the investors, yeah. get investment, but it's not always necessary. I might be one of the lucky ones, but mm. I, I, you know, even other pitches I've come across, not everyone needs the investment that you think they do. And just to double down on, on the aviation sector and, and not me being very familiar with it, is it very complicated and costly to actually start a business in that sector? As in, do you need any qualifications as a business or is it more so a sector you can just enter as an, let's say, amateur without really having any licensing in place? It's a very niche industry. There's two ways of doing it successfully based on mm. the companies that have made it. So one way is having experience in the industry. Either you've worked for a brokerage and have the broken experience, so relationships with the, from the supplier side and also on the client side. Or you've worked for, for an operator. So an operator is a company that manages aircraft on behalf of mm-hmm. private individuals and companies. So you have to have experience within the industry because yeah. everyone who's tried to just come in from a different industry or just looked at it as you know a financial gains hasn't really succeeded you really do need to have experience in some aspect of the industry to make it work 
That makes sense. And then going from obviously Toronto, where you start off with one country into the international expansion of Eclipse Air Charter. You've seen impressive growth with this offices now, and not just in Toronto, but also in New York and in London, where you're based now. What strategies have you found most effective when managing and expanding a business internationally? And then also, what are the challenges that you face in establishing businesses across multiple cities versus having maybe one office only that you manage the different countries you're in from? So ex international expansion is necessary, especially within our industry, because people prefer to work locally. So Canadians would rather work with a Canadian company, US clients would rather work with a US company. Not to say everyone feels the same, but typically that's the case. And so the international expansion was, I felt at the time, necessary just to have more access to the US client base that may necessarily not want to work with us because we're based in Canada. The reality mm. is it doesn't make a difference and you know we've realized now especially because of COVID that you can work from anywhere in the world but what used to be this sort of mindset where people wanted to work locally. So that was the reason for the uh, international expansion. The biggest challenge not just with expansion but a company, myself, and I assume many, many other companies, is the hiring aspect. So that can be very challenging, whether it's your training employees in new into the industry, the yeah. same way I was welcome to the industry, or you hire people from within the industry who have the experience. That has always been the biggest challenge. So mm. hiring and retaining high-value employees. And are you then following not a hybrid work model. So I guess your employees really have to be with you in the office to learn the gears of managing your clients, your high profile clients, or, or would you say your business could exist on a very hybrid remote working schedule or, or concept? The business absolutely could exist hybrid. I prefer in office interactions because I hmm. think, you know, there's so much we learn just by overhearing or, you know, half while we're writing an email, there's your pickup on, you just realize a lot of learning is subconscious. Yeah. And if you're at home on your own doing your job, you know, it's not that, it's not about the lack of faith or trust in employees. I just feel like when you're in an office, team environment, not only does it build the culture of the company and the office environment, it also helps you grow and without even realizing it, helps other people grow, especially as we do training programs where, where there's uh, new people that are in the industry learning everything from scratch. It's not just starting a new job, new industry, airports, air, like aircraft, there's so much to take in. So yeah. as much as we teach them directly, they pick up just as much just by listening to conversations. Interesting. Just going into, because you mentioned COVID before, before I go into my next question, I actually want to ask this, how do you think the private jet industry actually shifted during COVID and after COVID. Did you feel like there was less movement in the private jet industry or more? Yeah, it's a difficult one. If we're talking about the industry, it yeah. really is hit and miss. Some companies, you know, their uh, revenues increased significantly, but other companies ceased to exist. So it really was company specific. We grew during that period, so I think that answers which side we're on. But I think it's also location-based, so the majority of our clients are North America. 
So Canada didn't have a lot of freedom of movement. So what happened is a lot of people left Canada. So it would be, you know, private jet with the cat, the dog, everything until the situation improved. Whereas in the US, depending on the state, there was quite free movement. And the rest of Europe, as you know, some were completely closed, others were opening, closing, adjusting, changing every other day. So I think where our business was based at the time and where our client focus was had a lot to do with our revenue growth, but also how much our clients were moving at the time. And I know that you've launched an Airshare membership program, and obviously that shows continuous innovation, but how would you say you're staying ahead of the industry as a dynamic private aviation company? Uh, I mean, that's one way, actually, because the seat sharing model has been trialed and tested by many companies, including Uber. Actually, Uber at one point did try and tap into the helicopter market, and they also did try and do seats on private jets. It wasn't very successful. It doesn't work. So many other people have tried the same, where it's selling private jets per seat. And some are successful, but not really in Europe. It's more on the West Coast, where it's the very common LA, Palm Springs, or LA to various music festivals. I wasn't seeing the results and also knowing the mechanics of how that process works. It's not something I would want to invest in or push the company to do. It is something that does come up frequently. But like I said, there's too many intricacies, whether it's legal, managing the multiple contracts, managing the timelines required. It's just a lot of risk, which is not required to that extent when it's just one client, one contract, one jet. So Airshare is sort of my way of creating a hybrid. It's more of a members club concept because, you know, say for example, with Uber jets, you don't know who's going to be in the aircraft with you. So with the membership concept, everyone is pre-vetted. So it would just be a case of, you know, if we've got four clients who've requested to go to Toronto to Miami on the same date, we will look at the clients, you know, who's got pets, who hasn't got pets, age group, and almost like matchmaking and see who fits the best and then introduce them to each other. And yeah, so it's it's very unique. It's matchmaking. It's matchmaking. <laughs> no, but this is amazing because also like people who are flying private and they mostly fly for business purposes, right? Probably want to connect with others that are also doing business and are traveling all the time. So not only are you potentially improving their journey, but you're also potentially creating an incredible network for high net worth individuals. Yeah. And that's one aspect. And then for the private travel where, you know, a lot of people have second homes in Miami, uh, Bahamas, etc. And the reason for travel is their pets. You know, they don't want to put their dogs in cargo or, you know, it's not allowed to fly in uh, the uh, cabin hold. They're animal lovers. They're willing to fly a private jet just, you know, to keep their uh, baby happy. So they'll meet another person or another group of people exactly like them. That's where the matchmaking comes in. It's not you know, dating per se, but it's making sure. <laughs> I mean, who knows what happens after? But You never know. <laughs> there you go. But uh, on our side, it's just making sure 
that the two parties, and it's always going to be a maximum of two parties, are compatible with each other. Definitely a, a very innovative way of tackling, I guess, the new, very dynamic aviation industry, especially up post-COVID. Now we want to talk a bit about leadership challenges and, and obviously being an entrepreneur yourself. Having founded EQ Offices, Inc., which was a similar concept to WeWork, and then later your own VC, how do you normally balance on a day-to-day -day your time and responsibilities across these different ventures beyond your aviation company? So... By nature, <clears throat> I'm very risk-averse, so the businesses are actually complementary to each other. EQ Offices, it's a serviced office company, and the reason it came about actually was because when Eclipse uh, first started in 2016, we were in a serviced office company at this address. So we had <clears throat> a small office at 350 Bay Street, which was a serviced office of around 15 different offices and I think 10 different companies at that time. In 2017, um, the lease ran out. So the service company that we were renting from, their lease ran out. So I was looking at other office spaces and this was 2017. So the commercial real estate boom where it was just so hard and so expensive yeah. to find good central office space. And so I looked at what was available, nothing really met my criteria. I wanted to be right in the financial district, but I wanted a you know, shiny new office. And then I just sort of asked the, the receptionist at the time a few questions about who the landlord was, why they're closing down, and then researched the owner of the commercial building yeah. and went directly to them to see what they were marketing it for. And, you know, the gears kicked in because it's two things. Number one, we need office space. This is an amazing location. We don't want to move. We have to move if this business is closing. And then number two, knowing the shortage of office space at that time and the premium prices that it came at. So it was a complimentary business because we needed office space. But then on the entrepreneurial side, I saw a market for it. So that's EQ offices, which unfortunately, or fortunately rather, wrapped up this year. Our lease expired. And now that I'm based in London, it became quite challenging to manage. And then similarly with the Equilibrium VC, I, aviation is a very niche industry, but I'm very, very passionate about supporting women or anyone, but more specifically women based on the first-hand experience that I can offer them. And it was a passion project. So unfortunately, I don't focus on it as much as I want to because Eclipse takes up the majority of my day-to-day uh, -day life and focus. But once it gets to a point where we do have more and more senior managers and a much bigger team, I'll focus more on the investment side. The short answer is prioritizing. So it's about looking at your babies and seeing which one needs you most. Yeah, going into being a female entrepreneur and the challenges that you face as a female, Businesswoman, and, and I mean, I'm also I, I have my own business. I work for my family business as well, but I'm also in a male-dominated industry, so I'm sure I understand some of the challenges. But what did you think, as a female entrepreneur in a male-dominated industry, what challenges did you face, and what advice would you give other women who are aspiring to go into leadership roles in similar industries or fields? So I was very, very fortunate in that when I started the company, I had my own savings. So 
it wasn't that I started off by going to banks or, you know, PE companies for loans and investments with nothing to back me up, no company, etc. That was a huge advantage. But the challenge aspect was nobody really takes you seriously. <laughs> I remember calling the suppliers we used to work from and saying, oh, I started this company. And she said, oh, good for you. Okay, so uh, who's your business partner? Who are you working with? And I said, okay, great. <laughs> so, yeah, it's because... Myself know, and I. <laughs> I mean, yeah, me, myself and I, actually. Hello. <laughs> yeah. And no, that was generally always the question is, oh, who are you working with? Oh, who's your business partner? Because the assumption is we need one. Actually, even now, I, I still get that sometimes. Be like, I, I get that challenge because like take, being taken serious or being actually valued for what you're saying versus how you look or who you are as a woman is, is sometimes a bit of a challenge. But I think it's nice to see women rising into very powerful positions, but not only in bigger companies, but also in the entrepreneurial space, because it's also a role model for younger generations who can see like, oh, actually, I don't need a man to be a business partner in the aviation industry. I don't need a man to like support me on this. I can do this myself as well. And I think I love, I love that you did do this yourself because I think it just shows how powerful you know, you are and how powerful women can be. So yeah, thank you. It's, nice to have that. it's inspiring. You've also received numerous accolades, including influential business woman of the year twice. So what does it mean to you personally and professionally to achieve such successes? Oh gosh, that's a tough one because words can't describe. It's just a feeling. You do feel a bit like gushy and it's like I said, I, I haven't yet found the words to describe. So not just awards, even when you know people, my colleagues, say something really nice. I don't really know what to say. Just feel it. <laughs> yeah. Only that's nice. Congratulations, by the way. This is incredible. Thank you. Now we want to go more into the kind of mental health aspect of you being an entrepreneur. Um, so in the context of managing multiple high-pressure roles in your business, how do you prioritize and maintain your mental health? And are there any particular strategies or practices that you found effective in staying balanced and avoiding burnout? Absolutely. And honestly, you live and learn. So when you're first doing it, you're overworking and it's really not healthy. And you realize once it's been going on too long, okay, this is not good. I'm not really running any of the companies well because I'm trying to pay attention to them all at the same time. I'll be working on one thing, an email mm. will come in, so I'll drop it and move on to the next thing. So my solution to that is just have a very, very structured work method. When I had the three companies, I would dedicate two days to Eclipse, one specific day to EQ. And then, you know, because it was a newer company, there was not as much going on, one day to Equilibrium. Now that EQ is gone, I'm fully, fully focused on Eclipse and the expansion. Once it's where I need it to be, I will rebalance that with how much time I put into equilibrium. So it really, really does depend on the type of businesses you have and the resources that they need from you. And are you using specific techniques of like time blocking or being very good with your calendar or even any specific app that you would, would say help you to manage that time and those different pressures that you're, you're facing? Well, time blocking, so I dedicate days to different companies. But the best one, actually, and I apply it to my personal life as well, 
I don't if, even know if anyone uses Outlook anymore, but I use Outlook. And uh, you know, in, in Outlook, you have the flag system. Yeah. So even if I remember something, you know, 1 a.m. at night, I'll email it to myself, flag it, so it's there for me to take off. Okay, and, that's very smart, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, when there are no flags in my Outlook calendar, I feel a sense of achievement. Like, achievement, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I did similar... Similar... Yeah, like amazing strategy. I've, I've done similar. Now I've moved away from the flags and I do, I still use my inbox because I'm a zero inbox person to keep things in the inbox that I still have to do versus folding them away into fold subfolders where I've done the job where I, I don't have to follow up anymore. So it's a similar. Wait, do you do that unread emails thing? Yeah, yeah, I do that. Exactly. Oh, that gives me anxiety whenever I see. Seriously, when I see someone's inbox or like, you know, 300 unread messages or, you know, 200 unread WhatsApp, it gives me serious anxiety. I, mean, I could have lived like that. As well, but if I, if, I can, if I can put them into to folders where I know I don't have to work through them anymore, then I'm, I'm fine. I've never used a flag system like that. <laughs> <laughs> Try it, honestly. The, oh, God, it's, it's a thing. It gives you, yeah. you just feel so good when there's nothing that struggling work and personal life, which obviously comes with its own challenges. Could you share any specific routines or activities that you engage in to ensure a healthy work-life balance? How do these practices eventually contribute to your overall well-being? And that can be practices such as yoga or sports or reading. Do you have anything like a go-to where you say that that really keeps you sane? <laughs> Absolutely. It is travel. <clears throat> so escapism, travel. I also find when there's too much going on, what really helps is to get away from it. You know, if we're hiring people, but then we're also working on a few massive deals or, you know, accounting is going on in three different offices. When it gets too much and you don't really know how to prioritize because everything needs to be done at the same time, just leave on a Thursday, Friday, come back on a Sunday. That time mm. away give, just gives you a little breather to live your life, eat well, yeah. sleep well, do whatever you need to do. And then when you come back, you come back refreshed and ready to actually deal with the problem. But yeah. also, I, I find while I'm away, I think long term. So when I'm mm -hmm. actually in the office, I deal with what I need to deal with. But when I'm actually on holiday, so for example, I'm going to Bali uh, for New Year's, I know as much as I'm going to enjoy the cocktails, the beach, everything, I also know I'll be sitting there thinking about the future, how many people mm. to hire, what the new criteria is, what should change. So being away from it, you can strategize, whereas when you're in it, you're dealing with things as they develop. Very, very interesting aspect, because I, I agree, like being away from you every day where you can actually think much long term than maybe firefighting, anything that comes in your day to day while you're in the presence where your work is happening. And especially as an entrepreneur, I think this is a real crucial part of your job especially in, in comparison to, I guess, being employed where you have to think long-term and you have to come up, come up with the long-term strategies, which you might not have time for in your day-to-day. -day. So advocating travel, I love travel as well, but also taking the time to think in long-term is a really interesting um, aspect of it. Coming to the end part of our podcast, we have some rapid fire questions. So I'm just going to ask you the question and you're going to give me fast answers. So coffee, or tea? Coffee. Morning person or night owl? Night owl, 1000%. One book that changed your life? Too many. And all fiction, actually. Do you have one? 
that you can recommend? Gosh, I'm too many, but just off the top of my head, The Gilded Cage. It's a Swedish author and wow, it takes a turn. It's actually quite empowering as well. So it's, it's an empowerment novel. So I would recommend every woman to read The Gilded Cage. Next book on my list. Best advice you've ever received? It wasn't a person, but I think it's something I read and it's just always stuck with me. It's be who you are and do what you say. Be who you yeah. are what you say i like it okay thank you so for our last two closing questions we want you to reflect a bit on your career path your choices and advice you can give our listeners so our first question is centered around given the career path you've taken which is obviously starting off in the aviation industry as an employee now being an entrepreneur what advice would you offer someone at a career crossroad uncertain about their next step i think if you're considering a career change, you're not happy in your current environment. You know, if you're asking yourself so many questions, you really know the answer already. So just based on that, definitely do it. Yes, it's risky, but do you really want to spend the next X amount of years pondering the same question and options over and over again? That's true. Like overcoming the same question that you have towards your career over without actually actioning anything or changing anything yeah that's that's very exactly and also like i said if you're already questioning it questioning other career choices or you already know you want to do this it means mm. whatever you're doing right now it's not no. for you because you're seeking other avenues and no. that unfortunately i don't think goes away so even if things do get better for six months you'll more than likely end up back in this position mm. in the seventh month and then if you could change one thing in your past what would it be and how would you now do it differently instead? I guess how I expanded the company. I was living and learning. So when I started at the New York office, I left the company in charge of my VP at the time and had hired additional employees. And as I was now based in New York, she was effectively running the Toronto office and responsible for the employees in the Toronto office. And... While I was focused on New York, unfortunately, the Toronto office, the employees were not getting the same environment that I had created mm -hmm. or the training or, you know, the business that I had built, they weren't getting any of that because I wasn't there. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah. I was there maybe once every two or three weeks, but it's not the same as working directly with somebody, especially in a small company environment where you're mm -hmm. so influenced by the people around you. So I will change that. So whichever company is growing, that's where you need to be. That makes sense, especially, as you said, in, a, in an environment where the teams are quite small and you really have to learn from each other um, and are, I guess, less so successful by just being by yourself or remotely managing those new members of the team. Thanks for sharing. That's it for today. So thank you very, very much for joining. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the Growth Garden. And thank you so much for sharing your insights and valuable advice to our listeners. And we hope that our listeners likewise enjoyed the episode from today. So thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. <laughs> also, thank you from my side. And big thank you to our listeners for joining us on our episode today. Please like, subscribe, and follow our channels on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and of course, Instagram and TikTok. And until next time, and keep cultivating your growth journey. Bye. Thank you. Bye.